Monica Lawrence is a serial entrepreneur, venture investor, hospitality maven, global citizen, island renegade, and most of all, a quantum surfer. Quantum surfing, you ask? Well, that's what we talk about. It's a framework that she's created of actionable philosophies drawing from quantum mechanics, neuroscience, spirituality, as well as just a general quest for personal freedom and authentic self-expression. Basically, it is a shift in perspective on what is possible. So what's this mean for you? Well, we talk about the discipline and behaviors behind becoming lucky. So think about that. What if you could create even more luck in your life? Would you do it? How would you go about it? She shares some very simple ways to get started there. She talks about the power of using small experiments to accelerate creativity and serendipity. She talks about why thinking in the very simple terms of cause and effect is an outdated approach to creating what we want in the world. And she talks about going beyond goals and really setting intentions. This is a little bit different, and I think you're going to love it. I, this is a very fun conversation for me. Uh, Monica's fantastic, and yeah, just dig in. So a couple of things I wanted to mention, actually, before you start. So if you, I don't know if you've heard the last couple of episodes or not. We had Mastering the Middle Years with Madeline Hardacre. She is a doctor, an ultra runner, a midlife coach, and she talks about, well, her approach to really mastering the middle years. I had no other way to put it. And so we've gotten some great comments, some great positive feedback from the listeners. Thank you so much for that. And so if you haven't heard it yet, I'd highly recommend giving it a listen. Also, the episode uh, or two before that was called Focusing on What You Can Control with John McDonald. And in a couple of weeks, just a couple of weeks, it has become the second most downloaded episode of Midlife Mastery. So that is one that has resonated with a lot of people. And as you listen to those episodes and as you listen to this episode, please, if I could ask a favor, it would be share it with a friend. If you are learning something, if you are finding ideas that you want to apply to your own life, help others benefit from those as well. And now, a lot of people I know, and this sounds strange to me because I'm a podcaster, I, I do these, and it probably sounds strange to you because you already listen to podcasts, but not everyone knows how to listen to podcasts. Not everyone has their favorite podcasting app. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I have, where you try to share the podcast with someone. You want them to listen. You're like, man, these ideas are so great. And then you find yourself explaining, well, what a good podcasting app is, how they can download it. They're going to have to create a, a small account. And suddenly it sounds like this overwhelming thing to them. And a lot of people don't want to do that until they find out how great podcasts are. So if you want to share this with friends who, who maybe aren't that savvy yet about podcasts, there's a couple of different ways. One, they can just go to the website. They can go to midlifemasterypodcast.com and listen to the episodes straight from there. Or I've also started putting some of the episodes up on YouTube. So if you just go to YouTube and then search Midlife Mastery Podcast, you'll see several of the episodes right there. So for those who, who don't want to figure out podcasting apps, We've got some ways that they can listen to it that they're already familiar with, already comfortable with, and we'll find it very easy. All right. So with that in mind, I think I've said enough. Let's start talking about luck and tension and quantum surfing. Can't wait to introduce you to Monica. I've been excited to, to have you on the show here. We had met at, at an event through kind of, kind of a mutual friend, an online event, and you've 
you've got a lot going on. You, you've done a lot. You've kind of bring several different really fascinating worlds together. So if someone looks at your background, they know that you've you've spent time with a career in Hollywood. You've spent time with a career in Silicon Valley. You currently live in Fiji and you do something called quantum surfing and you help people do that as well. And we're going to find out what all that is. I always have people introduce themselves because what did I miss? I mean, anyone can read that on your website, but what doesn't that include? Hmm. Well, Brock, thank you so much for inviting me to be with you here on Midlife Mastery. And I really love this initiative that you've undertaken. It's so exciting and, and vitalizing, right, for all of us who are crafting that next stage of life. So thank you for leading the way, so to speak. Yeah, I teach quantum surfing. And quantum surfing is something that I have created and crafted and honed over the last 10 years. It really began with a spiritual awakening and a spiritual journey. And after about five years of being completely fascinated on that path, I thought, well, I'd like to do something with all of this. Like, how does one apply these ideas? And I'm a serial entrepreneur and naturally curious. And so I started experimenting with these various principles of enlightenment and applying them to new ventures. And in the course of doing that, I started realizing that these principles were working for me. And so then I started thinking, why? Why are these principles working for me? And so that led me down this whole path of neuroscience and quantum physics to start to understand what was happening. And what I really discovered is that our cultural beliefs aren't serving us well. They are putting us in a framework that is more limiting than what is truly possible. And so we frankly just have a bit of outdated beliefs. And it was those realizations that brought me to the idea of surfing quantum rather than paddling quantum, which is really how we tend to interact with our environment. And it was that journey that led me here to Fiji so that I could share the beauty of this place with people who also have a vision to make our world a sparkling place. So I, I guess, first off, what is quantum? I mean, I, I know the term quantum physics, but I don't know that if someone said, hey, what is quantum that I, I could describe it to them? And I certainly wouldn't necessarily connect it with surfing or, or paddling. And so, yeah, let's just start there. Yeah, great. Well, this is like a little, you know, physics conversation here. <laughs> uh, so what's fascinating about quantum is that everything is waves. You know, kind of the, um, there's the classic double uh, slit experiment. And what we see is that particles and waves are interacting with each other all the time. So just a simple example, when we walk through a room, we think of ourselves as the particle walking through the room, but we're kind of leaving a ripple of waves. There's, a, and there's an energy that, that trails along with us. And I'm sure you've experienced this in some way, shape, or form. You might walk into a room and two people have just had an, had an argument, and you can feel that, even though nothing is being said. You might observe it in the body language, but there's a sensation 
that that you get. Likewise, if you walk into a party and everyone is having a wonderful time and there's these dynamic conversations going on, you can feel that as well. And visually, all of that is invisible to us, but it's really carried on these energetic waves of interacting with one another. And so in a world of waves, rather than particles only, which is how we visually see our world, it occurred to me that there's an opportunity to really catch a wave. And, you know, in our institutions, our schools, our corporations, we're really taught to be expert paddlers, where we are taught how to get from point A to point B. And we learn all of these tools like planning, like marshalling resources in order to really paddle harder and faster. But we rarely have the intention to catch a wave. And the difference is that a wave has its own energy and then you become somewhat as a surfer on that wave, you can feel yourself being lifted by the energy of that wave. And then you can navigate that wave on your board. Okay? So, so this is kind of the framing that I give as a foundation for really starting to switch up the beliefs that we have, because it's our, it's our cultural beliefs that keep us in this world of paddling from point A to B and doing it so efficiently and effectively. I have a couple questions in there, Monica. If paddling gets us from A to B, I'm curious, where does surfing get us from A to what? And if paddling works well, we've spent, you know, lifetimes and generation after generation perfecting, or at least getting better at getting from A to B. What does how is surfing an advantage over what we already know works? You know, it seems to work pretty well. So, yes. so where, where, where does surfing get us to and why is that better? I guess is my question. Well, it's really, it's a wonderful question because I would say there's the right tool for the job. So it's wonderful to be able to pull out, you know, the, the tools of paddling when you need to paddle, like every surfer does need to know how to paddle, right? So I'm certainly not advocating that we simply forget one way of being. It's more about becoming facile with lots of different tools. Now, the, the fastest way I've discovered to get up on the board, so to speak, for quantum surfing is to switch up your beliefs by starting experiments so that you can challenge yourself to determine what is true for you rather than what you assume to be true. And so I usually start that with discipline of being lucky. So we'll just take that as a, a case in point. So people think of luck as coincidences or randomness that just happens to you. And, oh, I just got lucky today, or that was a weird thing that just happened. But what's fascinating is that the research shows that it's your behaviors that drive your luck. And behaviors, of course, come from thoughts and thoughts come from beliefs. Now, there's a, a wonderful neuroscientist out of the UK who gave a TED talk 
on the power of our beliefs. His name is Anil Seth. And what he said is that we're all hallucinating our reality. And that's fascinating. And he said, the way that this happens is that you can think of your beliefs as like your bedrock as your operating system. So the brain receives lots of different inputs, which is sounds, visual cues, but they're all like pieces of data that just bombard the brain. And then based on beliefs, the brain deciphers what all that data means. So in that small realization, you start to see how powerful your beliefs are. So, you know, to distill that, I would simply comment that what you believe to be true is true. Because when you adopt a certain set of beliefs, you eliminate anything that's outside of that belief. So the way that I get people up on the board of quantum surfing is I say, okay, let's just have some fun and invite in lucky coincidences. And by doing that, we start to see that being lucky is, can be more predictable than random. And it's a way of inviting in energies to surf with us to have both the intention and simultaneously the allowing of wonderful things to happen in our world. So it's, it's this sense of openness to what's possible while also being directed and guiding that board. And the way that I start is simply, I say, forget about guiding the board. Let's just start like on really, really simple inconsequential things. And we'll get up on that board and, and see it, see what happens with our, our luck, see what happens with us being able to just balance and have a bit of fun. And what's been wonderful in the cohort classes that I've hosted so far is that people literally show up just laughing. And they're like, Monica, I have way too much luck. Like I can't even like, I, I can't even manage it. I have so much luck coming in. And so that's probably one of the easiest examples of what it feels like to be surfing. It has, it's effortless. It's delightful. It's fun. It, it is truly catching a wave. And it just is a completely different perspective and feeling overall. Hopefully so I'm illuminating that for you. Well, you know, I consider myself a, a lucky person, a very, very fortunate. I can think of things in my life that I can't explain, but, you know, pieces came into place and it was all good. And, but the idea of being lucky more on cue, or I mean, those weren't your words, but more often doing things that help initiate the luck versus just kind of waiting for it to to come through. You know, I I love the idea of too much luck. In my mind, I go to, well, that's not really a thing. But but I get it. If you feel like you've got so many opportunities or so many new things coming at you, where do you even begin? So uh, yeah, how do we get more of that in our life? What are some things we can do to more intentionally connect with that luck? A wonderful place to start is to invite in lucky coincidences and by simply being curious and open. So 10 years ago, when I was newly single, as an example, I thought to myself, you know, I'm pretty sure I have unconscious ways of showing up in partnership 
because you know, I had met my husband when I was 22, right out of college. And so I really went from living with my family to being married. And rather than try to determine what needed to shift from being in partnership to showing up in a different way, I thought, you know, I'm just going to say yes. I'm just going to trust that whenever someone invites me to do something, I'm going to say yes. And I don't, I may not even want to do <laughs> what they're, what they're suggesting, but I'm going to trust that that is the right path for me. And Brock doing that for a year led to the most amazing experiences and connections and serendipities. And it's, that's a particular way saying yes, is just a way of getting yourself out of your norm, getting yourself out of your habits, getting yourself out of your own environment. Because again, going back to the brain, what the brain does is it simplifies everything that it's accustomed to. So it doesn't have to process that information. So when you're in the same environment, you're, you're not getting all the signals that are really possible for you because they're, they're, they're being screened out. And when you mix it up a bit and you get out of your comfort zone, in my case, I just said yes, then there's something that happens in that more information, more insights start to flow in. So that would be one way that you could start to invite in lucky coincidences, but there's really small ways. Like you could go to a party and decide that you're going to talk to everyone who's wearing red and that it's your, your mission that night to meet every person in red and to listen closely for you know, what they have to say and who they are and, and what they're all about. You could simply decide to drive home a different way. Like next time you get in your car and say, okay, I, I'm going to go to my destination, but how do I want to get there? How do I feel to get there today? And so when we start to take different routes, if you will, through our life, routes that are kind of unusual for us, even in the smallest of ways, this is where serendipity and luck and openness starts to pay off for us. Well, say, say more to that, Monica, because the, 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 like the examples you gave, I see how that would shake things up. Like talking to everyone that said, right, that would be a totally different evening than my normal evening. Right. I'd like how <laughs> be talking to some people that I already knew I'd be talking to people I didn't know. And it's this, kind of weird thing, not like I'm just going to be more social, but like I've got some rules I need to follow and I'll go do that. And that, that shakes things up. But it would never occur to me to say, you know what, to improve my luck, I'm going to talk to people only wearing red or blue or belts or, you know, what, whatever. What are some other th simple things that, that people could do or, or how would they know, like, how would someone listening to this go, okay, I'm going to do some stuff, some simple stuff like that. How would they know it's going to lead to more luck? I guess, what are we trying to accomplish? And so I'm thinking through this just as I'm talking. So I might be answering my own question of, you know, so you, you were just trying to get us out of our habit, out of our pattern to see something new, experience something new. Is there more to it than that? The, the principles of luck, according to the research, and there's a gentleman by the name of, of Richard Wiseman, who did some early research area. 
and who concluded that it is our behaviors that that drive luck. He did this fabulous uh, social experiment where he invited people into a room and gave them a newspaper and then a pad of paper and a pen. And before the experiment started, he asked, do you consider yourself to be lucky? And people would say yes or no. And so he said, okay, great. Well, the task today is to count the number of photographs in this newspaper. And when you're done, just, you know, let me know that you're finished. And the way that you'll be scored on this is for accuracy, as well as for the time it takes you. So you want to do it quickly. Okay. Here's what happened. Unlucky people, which I would have put myself into this category 20 years ago. Not that I was unlucky. I look, life was going my way, but it wasn't, I wasn't surfing. I was definitely an expert paddler. Okay. So an, an unlucky person would open up that newspaper and be very disciplined about the task. Great. I mean, here's page one. I count all the photographs, note it down on the, the pad of paper, flip the page, photographs, how many, and so forth. Okay, get to the end of the paper and then let the proctor know that you're finished and here's your count and here's your time. Okay. Here's what lucky people do. And this is why I started deciding to train myself to be lucky, to consciously be lucky, right? What lucky people do is they actually stay in the experience of reading the newspaper. So yes, they know they're being marked for time, but they're also curious about what's being said in that newspaper, okay? So in the case of this experiment, they would read page one, mark down the number of photographs, Turn to page two, this huge headline, which was not a photograph, right? This huge headline was on that page and it said, you can stop reading right now. There are 43 photographs in this newspaper. And so the person who's in the experiment would call the proctor and say, wait, is this, is this true? Am I, am I done? And they're like, yes, perfect. The experiment's over. Fantastic. Thank you so much for volunteering. Now, what struck me about these results is that the lucky people quantitatively got better results. Quantitatively. Their time was short and their count of the photographs was perfect. So... The, what, what they discovered in these experiments was that lucky people are more open as they are experiencing their environment. They're simply open to what's there, whereas unlucky people are overly focused on the task at hand and are constraining themselves to really be precise in the case of counting all of these photographs. So you can see that this idea of openness and curiosity, there's a lot more there than initially meets the eye.
Now, the research also went on to identify three other attributes of being lucky. The next would be resilience, and then intuition, and finally, positive expectations, which is that simply you believe that things are going to go your way. Now, another attribute that I would add in there is playfulness. And if you ever read the research on playfulness, what you discover is that People who are playful are have a, cer- have a certain type of intelligence that makes them quite smart in the sense that they're able to make connections and see patterns and connect with people in a more open way. And I actually think that the reverse is true, that if, if you are not naturally playful, you can cultivate that in yourself and it yields this kind of tapped in intelligence as well. So these are all senses, honestly, Brock, that we have that we don't typically use. And so what I share with people is how to discover, how to just rediscover or discover for the first time that you have these senses. They're just kind of dormant. Well, and that probably ties back to, you had mentioned some of the cultural beliefs that maybe get in our way of being able to quantum surf. What are some of the beliefs that are helpful to adopt that help us to surf even better? Trusting yourself, right? Cultivating intuition. We tend to think of intuition as a gut call which is almost like the beginning aspect of intuition, but gut calls are more akin to experiential reliance and that you've seen patterns before. And so you're able to make a a gut call based on those patterns. Whereas intuition can be used by anyone, even someone who hasn't seen the patterns. It's this inner knowingness, right? This sense of allowing yourself to be guided to what, feels right for you. This is a way of showing up that most people don't show up that way. So it runs counter to our cultural beliefs. But there's this capability that everyone has to tap into their intuition and to expand that for their own growth and happiness and eventually impact. You can trust that what you're drawn to, even when it's crazy, like even when it's kind of obscure, that it's right for you. I appreciate the distinction between kind of uh, the, the gut level decision and intuition and the idea of being able to see patterns from experience. I think Malcolm Gladwell talked about that a lot in the book Blink, being able to make decisions very, very quickly from what he called thin slices, because you know the patterns, your brain can pick them out very quickly. More fascinating to think that even when we haven't seen the patterns, even when we don't have experience, that we still have this intelligence or, or this knowing, or I, I guess, the, I, I don't know, the, the ability to choose correctly. I, I'm trying, floundering a little around the words to describe intuition, but I'm wondering, you know, when you're an expert in something, you can see the patterns, it, it's very easy to trust your gut because, you know, you, you've, you've got this li- lifetime of experience. But when you're not an expert in some something and 
how, how do we trust or how do we know what to, how do we differentiate between just, I don't know, <laughs> got intuitive knowledge and just random stuff. I'm not asking a good question here, Monica. I'm floundering with this question, but. <laughs> not at all, Brock, not at all. You know, early on, I, I worked with a coach for maybe four or five sessions and he taught me many things, but interestingly enough, it was always at the end of our session that I learned the most. And what he would say is, Monica, when do you feel to meet next? And the first time I heard that question, I kind of ignored it. Because being my action-oriented self with a busy calendar, with my goals in mind as to what I want to accomplish. I kind of scanned my brain and thought, okay, well, I want to keep this coaching on track. So I really want to do it within the next week to 10 days. So when will that fit in my calendar? I had this deadline for you know, this deliverable. So, all right, let me, let me suggest next Thursday. So that's what I went back to him. I said, great. i love to meet next Thursday. And he said, is that when you feel to meet? I said, I I'm sorry. I don't know what that means. I, I don't know what it means to feel to meet sometime. I, I understand what it means. Like, when do I want to, which is what I've just told you. I don't understand what it means. When do I feel to do it? And he says, well, just see what, comes to you, Monica. I said, okay. So I went, uh, Brock, I sat there and I tried to feel something to this question of when do you feel to meet? And I, I sat there, I sat there and I said, and then it came in and I said, I don't feel to meet next Thursday. I feel to meet the following Tuesday. I said, now I want to be very clear. I don't want to meet the following Tuesday. It doesn't really work for me. It doesn't keep me on track. It doesn't fit with my schedule, right? But if you're asking me when I feel to meet, that's what I would tell you. And he said, wonderful, Monica then we'll meet on that following Tuesday. The Thursday came and went and it was way too busy. I was, I was being you know, overly ambitious as to when my time would free up. And when we got to the Tuesday that I had selected, it was right on time. I had new questions for him. I had new experiences to share. And so what he was training me to do with that question is to be guided by my intuition. But I feel that this is a special kind of intuition, which I now call sense decisioning. It's a completely different way of making a choice. It's almost a crazy, bizarre way, right? When someone says, when do you feel to meet? And Brock, I've applied this in so many ways in my life now to astounding results, a, a inexplicable 
results. So there was one morning I was sitting there in the Bay Area at my home, and I had to go to the North Bay, which is across the Golden Gate Bridge. And that is anywhere from an hour and a half to two and a half hours, depending on time of day and traffic. And how do we usually do that? You know, we we turn on Waze or some other app that tells us when we should leave based on traffic conditions. I was really stressing about leaving for that meeting on time. And I had quite a bit on my plate to accomplish that morning. And finally, I said to myself after stressing about it, Monica, enough, enough. You're finished stressing about this. You will just use sense decisioning. So when it's time to go, set the intention that you'll know, that you'll get that feeling that it's time to go. <laughs> and so right around like 10.22, I got that feeling, time to go. It's like, oh, okay, here we go, time to go. I got in the car, I did that whole drive. There was traffic. I may have even had to stop for fuel. And when I pulled up to the destination, which was in Tiburon, which I'd never been to before, I watched the clock click from 59 minutes to the hour, precisely when I was supposed to be there. What's uncanny is that when I share this with people who are quantum surfing with me, <laughs> who are learning these techniques, the last time I had a cohort class, I had a guy come back in the next week and he's like, unbelievable, unbelievable. I put that to work and I went from New Jersey to Brooklyn and arrived right on time. Whereas the last time I had to do that, I was an hour and a half late and I was stressing about it the entire time. So this is something that I can't even explain to you quite why it works, but this is a way of practically, and this is why I call it applied, right? Applied enlightenment, um, to practically apply something that seems bizarre. Why is it that you should be able to tap into a knowingness, an energy that even allows you to, in the moment, be calm and yet arrive at your destination precisely on time, simply by setting the intention and then being open and allowing that to be the case. So I've never encountered that before. That, that description of sense decisioning, I think is what you called it. And that's pretty fascinating. I've never thought about it on the minute level, the, the small scale. I'm, I'm a little fascinated by it on the bigger scale. And I, you know, I am, you'd mentioned goals and I kind of have this little love-hate relationship going on with goals. Like I, I get that we need a direction. I, you know, I, I'm a fairly driven person, and yet most of the really good things that have happened in my life had nothing to do with any intention that was set or any goal. And the goals that I've set have often turned out to be just completely arbitrary. And so, if I didn't achieve them, so what? And if I did. 
Well, so what? It wasn't necessarily where I needed to be. It's just where I thought I wanted to be. And I, I know a few people who have shifted completely away from, from goals. And now these aren't people sitting on the couch waiting for life to happen to them. These are very, very accomplished people. These are people who stand out in their field. And yet, kind of similar to what you describe, I mean, it almost, it's almost like they're using that sense decisioning on a much, much bigger level. They're, they're open to what comes to them and stuff seems to come to them. I, I guess where I'm going with this is I'm wondering, you know, when we think about life directions, making the bigger choices, how can we put this to work for us where we may not know what the right direction is? We may not know what the good outcome is. Because there are many rights. There are many directions and paths that you can take that do get you to your end destination. And the, the key is really allowing yourself to dream, to dream about what's possible for you. What, what do you love? What are you drawn to? What excites you? And to start from the, that place of a blank canvas and just be present with that you know as children and which is why i also go to the magic of play because we knew how to do this so easily when we were children as children we played all the time as children we would daydream as children we would imagine what we wanted to be in life and somewhere along the line we stopped doing that we did start becoming more goal-oriented, more purposeful, which is a powerful way of being. But there's, there's almost a beauty that I would say is aligned with each person. And to realize the beauty of your particular beauty of life is to allow yourself to dream as to what's possible for you. Once you have that vision, once you, it becomes an intention, but then the paths start to appear. So you don't need to plan the path so much. You need to, you need to have a sense of what the milestones are, right? But the idea of quantum surfing is that you're simply allowing all of the yummy, delicious paths or waves to come your way. And, and you have it now in the context of that vision of that. They're not goals. There's something that you're inexplicably drawn to, something that you're passionate about, something that you can't wait to make happen because simply for the joy of it being fun and exhilarating and exciting, and you might do it alone, you might do it with other people. This is a way of living that is really juicy. And I think just starting with the dreaming starts to free us from having to direct the navigation that we have a longer term vision for ourselves. And then we know that lots of different paths are going to get to that destination. That's not really what they teach us. No. It's not, you know, (laughs) this is why, this is why I really call it, you know, it's quantum surfing because what 
you're absolutely right, Brock. What I'm sharing with you are not our cultural beliefs. It's not what we're taught. But there is this way of showing up more joyfully and more in resonance with the the excitement and the beauty of of the quantum waves like surfing is fun I, of course you could paddle on that board and really enjoy yourself i do it frequently out in the, in the bay here but to catch a wave like, that's incredible it's exhilarating it feels fantastic and it's super fun when you're doing it with other people So where do we get in our own way? I suspect we've all experienced this on some level. We probably didn't have these words for it, but sometimes life just comes together for us. It, you know, but where do we tend to trip ourselves up from, from what you've observed as you've been working with people, what prevents us from easily being able to, to surf? There's a number of different obstacles that we have in our typical cultural beliefs that keep us from surfing. One is overthinking. In our culture, we have placed a very, very high reliance on being analytical, logical, rational. We've mastered that and it's fantastic, but it's not all that there is. So this insistence on being rational and thinking I liken it a bit to overworking the brain. So here we are, we live in these beautiful bodies, and we have all these different senses, and we really make the brain work very, 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 very hard. We don't really call in even other organs to help. You know, so the idea of creating a vision, for example, that you feel called to is more calling from the heart. It, and it results from, from love. It results from that playfulness. These are not rational ways of showing up. So I would say the overthinking is one aspect of our cultural beliefs that does hold us back. So, and this is just for purely selfish reasons, as I am a pro-level overthinker, how, what, what are some well things, <laughs> yes. what are some things that we can do to, to get out of our own way there to, to, to not get stuck in that loop of overthinking, but to be able to be, be more open to, to other things more quickly that maybe don't fit into the, the rational landscape or yeah, I'll, I'll leave the question there. Yeah. Uh, I, this, this is why I find these, ex, these small experiments to be so telling because like you, I like to jump to, all right, so how do I apply this? How do I apply openness? How do I make that work in my life? Right, how can I take this framework that I've known, which is you know, directed, rational, driving and accomplishment and just step away from that and step into this new model that is kind of intriguing. But I haven't found a way to, <laughs> to just flip a switch that way. And you have to come to trust what you're discovering, which means setting up these 
small experiments allows you to see that something else can be possible. And as you start to experience those serendipities and realize that it's your behaviors that are precipitating those serendipities, then you can start to weave a framework that expands from the strictly rational, analytical, logical framework that we have. That It's that practice that over time allows you to craft your unique framework where you are truly surfing. Okay? So none of us get up, get, up, get up on a surfboard and be expert surfers right out of the, um, the gates, right? We, we fall, we splash around, you know, we get banged up. But the thing is, we keep going. We keep going because we know it's fun, because we know it's exhilarating, because we know there's something there that we really enjoy. And when we get up on that wave and we feel the energy of the wave lifting us, carrying us, that it's that energy that's more than, than just us, that's really what we're going for. And, and it's this openness, this curiosity, the intuition, the playfulness, these other ways of being that allow us to have that experience. And the more we practice it, then we can, we can direct that surfboard more expertly. We can reach for the right tool when we, we want to use that tool. You know, we've, we've been talking a lot about some of the little techniques to, to do it. So what do people typically see happen in their lives as they start to, if not master, at least get, you know, acceptably good at the, the, the quantum surfing, you know, as they, as they start to, I don't know if developing the skills is the right way to think about it, but you don't get better at it. Yeah. Um, what I've observed is, you know, such accomplished people have been through the, the program so far, which I really consider a beta, you know, keep in mind, I, I was sharing these ideas here in Fiji. I wasn't sharing them so broadly online and until recently. But I, as I found myself here in our global pandemic, I thought I better start sharing these ideas because this is such a wonderful and exciting way to live and more people should benefit from, from these concepts. You know, it's each person's experience has been slightly different. There was a woman who joined us in the first cohort and she uh, does intuitive coaching. So she's already in this whole intuitive space, but she joined the program because she wanted to understand how, how the quantum fits in, how the science fits in, how the neuroscience fits in, like why, why are some of these inexplainable attributes happening? Another one was in the course and she is an executive coach. And by the time she finished the course, she had completely shifted her framework, her point of view. And she ended up landing a fantastic contract in Silicon Valley where she's paid per head for coaching. And she just reframed her narrative as a result of being a quantum surfer and, you know, named her price and said, and the client said, yeah, 
we're on board, you know? So there's a gentleman who was in the course and he had contacted me because look, the pandemic has taken its toll on all of us in some way, shape or form. And lots of the ways that we have of coping aren't serving us well. And so he said, look, I'm really drowning over here. <laughs> yeah. What have you got for me? And so he joined the second cohort and I just was chatting with him night before last. And he said, Monica, you can't imagine like, the difference. It's like, it's like my life pre quantum surfing and my life after quantum surfing. He says, I'm still trying to get my head around what it was that I learned per se. But what I do know is that the way that I approach life, the way that I think about my opportunities, the way that I craft what's happening for me is completely different. And when other people show up in my life and they, they tell me what's possible or what's not possible, I have this reaction saying, well, that's what you believe. And he says it is, it's people hold themselves in places that they're limiting, but they're also less joyous. There's an energy that happens when you're around people who are happy, who are playful. This is something to tap into. And so each person coming through the course have had different outcomes, but without fail, every single one of them have said it's completely transformative. It's just a, an abs it's a completely different perspective on how, how you can surf with life rather than push yourself through it. I hope that's satisfying in some way. <laughs> well, you know, it, it makes me want to ask about joy. It strikes me that most people, and I might be overgeneralizing, most people don't have a lot of joy or don't focus on joy at least. And yet when I think of the people who, and, and I will say most accomplished, but it goes beyond accomplishment, who I, I feel like are the people I know who are just really living who they think they need to be, who they want to be. They're very intentional about joy. I mean, it's not just like they're happy because they have a good life. They are, yeah, really intentional about making sure they have joy in their life. And so for you, what's the connection? How does joy fit into all of this? Why is joy so important other than just being happy? But why... How do we get intentional about it? And I just threw like six questions at you right there. So just answer the one that, you know, you, you want to, but yeah. For anyone who's been exposed to A Course in Miracles, there's a simple takeaway in there, which is that a miracle is a shift in perspective. That's how powerful what you believe really is. That's how powerful your perspective and your outlook really is. So back in December, I was in my second category five cyclone here in Fiji. <laughs> I wasn't planning to make a practice of this. And it's not like I would prefer to, you know, continue to have that experience. But it is, it really, I find that it tests me every time. It tests my ability to, to be present, to feel safe to be prepared. So it's really this extreme combination of taking action and also grounding in order to have your wits and a sense of peace about you. 
for me, I came out of my bunker the next morning after our cyclone went through in December. And, you know, you get about assessing the damage. It's easy to walk around and say, there's damage. Okay, that's going to cost me this much to fix. You know, I lost this. That's that's another loss. All right, do I need to fix that? And you can catalog the entire experience through the lens of loss. That's easy. But I stood there and I looked out over my pool to the rain trees. And just three days before that cyclone, I had been standing in that same place. And I thought, man, those rain trees have gotten so big. They're really blocking the view from the pool. And I love being in that pool, as do my guests, and looking out over the entire bay of Savu Savu. Well, what happened in that cyclone? All those rain trees got pruned. So suddenly, I had my view back. It's the same down here. Like I'm talking to you from my office, which is our caretaker cottage. And I've had a challenge because this is in like the cottage is nestled in the hill. And so it doesn't get the same type of airflow and light and the jungle grows up around it. And so I've dealt with keeping mold at bay in the caretaker cottage. Well, what happened in that cyclone in December? Everything was leveled. all, All the foliage was gone, which meant a lot more light in this cottage. That's really what life is all about for me is that shift in perspective. This trust that things are going your way, even when everything is falling apart around you. And in the, the case of a cyclone, what it, when you experience it, you see the cycle of life. You see everything destroyed around you. And then very quickly, imperceptibly at first, but within three weeks, you see the flower showing back up. You see the new budding from the, you know, the banana leaves. And we're like that. You know, we, we don't think of ourselves as being part of nature. We think of us, ourselves as being separate from nature. But it's not true. We are nature. And these cycles are also happening for us. When we adopt a lens that has faith and trust in those cycles, that we see what's possible even when things are falling apart around us. This allows us to navigate through those difficulties more quickly and to to see as in those experiments that Richard Wiseman was conducting, to see what's possible rather than just what we're looking for. Well, that seems like a a pretty good place to wrap up right there here. So we've covered a lot. And for people who want to learn more, find out more, experiment more, what are some good resources, including where where can they find you? Yeah. Well, you can find me at quantumsurfing.com. 
And, you know, I mentioned a number of different people who have been influential in terms of on my path of this thinking. There is that great TED Talk by Anil Seth. So if anyone is drawn to neuroscience, that's fascinating. It's, you know, literally says we hallucinate our reality. And then this work from Richard Weissman, it's like maybe a five-page article that you can find online. And he talks about his findings in being lucky and how to, he doesn't exactly outline how to be predictably lucky, but what he shows is that it's absolutely possible and that that challenges that we're in a world where it's just circumstantial. So those are two places to start. And I would just say, allow yourself to be drawn to what you find interesting, to what catches your attention, to what you love, because we're all on a different journey. And your journey is unique to you and mine is unique to me. So I look forward to hearing from you and others, Brock, what you're discovering on a similar journey of quantum surfing. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on today, Monica. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Brock. It's really been an absolute delight. And again, I, you know, because you are doing this podcast of midlife mastering, you know, midlife is phenomenal. It really is. Because we have all the wisdom of, of being our adult selves. And we have this, these childlike qualities that we left behind. But now we can reclaim them for ourselves and actually create in ways that we never were capable of creating before. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful time in life. And I'm so excited that you're sharing that with so many more people. Absolutely, Hannah. I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Thank you. Did you love what you heard? Are you curious? Are you interested in quantum surfing, bringing that more into your life? Well, Monica and I recorded this episode actually a couple of months ago, and we were communicating, and it turns out that she has a, a class coming out here in just a couple of weeks, in mid-September. So this episode is coming out end of August, so within a couple of weeks here, she has a six-week class called Quantum Surfing One, Getting Up on the Board, and it's an online class. You can find out more about it at quantumsurfing.com, Q-U-A-N-T-U-M-S-U-R-F-I-N-G surfing.com. And if, if you scroll down on the page there, you will find the class and can find out more about it there. Again, if you're interested, you want to learn more, she's got some great information on her website and she's got this course coming out that you might find very, very helpful.